Hey folks, I'm Alex Dowd. And I'm Katie Reif. So this is the part of the show where normally we would tell you what we are reviewing this week, the new releases hitting theaters that we're going to be talking about. But for reasons that should be obvious, I think, to everyone listening, we don't have new releases to talk about this week. Nothing is opening in theaters because of the national health crisis that is going on. So we're going to do something a little different today. We are going to just talk about what's going on right now and how the coronavirus has affected the film industry and sort of look forward to the future and see what to expect in the months to come, if we have any way of knowing that. And going forward, we're going to need to come up with some solutions on how to handle the current review slate or, or the lack thereof. And we'd love to keep doing the show. And uh, I think we're, we're going to have to be creative about that a little bit. And today we're going to be talking about a favorite movie of both of ours that maybe has a little bit of contemporary relevance. But maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> let's start by talking about what's going on right now. First of all, how are you doing, Katie? I'm doing okay. I'm in my apartment. Uh, I've been here for about a week. I'm not a big going out person anyway, so the first few days were like, ah, sweet bliss. But it started to get a little weird today when I woke up and I was like, oh yeah, not going out again. (laughs) It's kind of already messing with my already not great work-life balance. You know, Mm -hmm. I I already have a hard time setting like, this is where work ends and my life begins, you know? Yeah. Uh, And and now that I'm doing all of my work in the place where I sleep and, and, and otherwise inhabit, that's making those lines blurrier. We should say that normally uh, we record this show in the AV Club studio. It is normally a video slash podcast. If you normally consume this show as a video, you are not seeing our faces at the time being. You are just hearing our voices. Yeah, sorry. You're missing out on all our outfit choices. Very sorry. (laughs) You'll just have to imagine. Yeah. So uh, what's kind of remarkable to me is how fast this happened. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I, I think the whole world is kind of dealing with that to some extent. Because a week ago we were in the office... Um, And a week ago, we were still looking at plenty of films opening in theaters. This began a few weeks ago. I want to say three weeks ago. About three weeks ago was when it first started to show up on everybody's radar in the U.S. here real seriously. Yeah, I mean, the coronavirus has been a concern globally for for much longer than that. Yeah, Asia's been dealing with it for, you know, months. And China, we'll talk about that more later, but they're starting to look at the end of the tunnel in China, so. Yeah, but in terms of the film industry, I think the first major thing that was sort of like, this is going to be bigger than we were anticipating uh, in terms of its of its cultural impact was when they made the decision to move the new James Bond film, No Time to Die, which was supposed right. to open in, in mid-April, when they made the decision to move that to November. Yeah, and when that happened, I was like, oh, well, that seems extreme, mm-hmm. you know, because mid-April seemed like a long time away there. And I was honestly, for me, the first moment where I was like, oh, wow, this is really real, was I was planning to cover South by Southwest for the site. And, you know, it had everything arranged. We were a week out from going, and then they canceled the festival. And at the time, I remember being like, this seems like a lot. This seems extreme. I was a little shocked by, like, how big of a move it was because, you know, there's a lot of money goes into something like that and a lot of planning we were you know deep into the planning it was a week out but now you know two weeks later looking back I cannot imagine being in Austin right now I absolutely cannot imagine it no I mean I think now it's funny you're right because two weeks ago it seemed at least to some Americans it seemed like these were actions that seemed overly cautious or they were just playing it safe and now it's impossible to imagine anybody carrying on with an event It was announced today that the Cannes Film Festival, which is one of the last holdouts 
for a major event that's happening, you know, in the next few months. They were holding out for a long time. Some speculate that they were waiting to see how much their insurance was going to cushion them for this. But yeah, I mean, talk about a lot of sunk cost, you know, for sure. Closing can is for sure. Going to um, hurt a lot of people. It is. So the Cannes Film Festival, officially as of as of today when we're recording this, is being postponed till later in the summer. I think June or July, they said, which to me seems optimistic, but we'll see. James Bond film was the first of the movies uh, on their release slate in the next few weeks to, to be pushed. From there, Peter Rabbit 2 was pushed. Uh, the announcement came that the Fast and Furious film was moving f- to a year from now, which made a lot of sense to me because that, that franchise, is, is that's a very global franchise it in is, terms yeah. of its its appeal and and how well it does overseas so i think that was them making the decision like even if things turn out to be fine in america we need to protect grosses overseas oh yeah a hundred percent yeah and there was no way i mean the irony of it is like when was that release date scheduled for it was in may by then china's movie theaters will be probably back open and running again and ours won't be but there's no it feels unprecedented, honestly. I mean, I remember when it, when all this started to feel very real to me. And this, I mean, given what we do, maybe this makes sense that it took this happening for all of this to feel real to me. But it was when I realized that there was not going to be a new release in theaters for a month, like a right. whole month. And and I, I sort of did some informal polling on Twitter and was like, you know, does anybody know the last time that Hollywood went a full month without releasing a new movie in theaters? And the response I got, more or less, was that has not happened since Hollywood has been making feature films. We, we sure, don't yeah. go that long without a new release. It just doesn't well, last happen. Time there was a real big pandemic in America, you know, the Spanish flu, I believe the uh, the late 1910s, mm-hmm. you know, the, the film industry hadn't, I, I'm trying to think of a better word, but congealed in the way it has now. It was not, it was totally. more like spread out, you know, it wasn't, Hollywood wasn't the absolute epicenter of production. There were active film studios in other cities and there weren't any big theater chains back then. It was very different, you know, it wasn't a big enough industry to really think about in these terms then. Right. Totally different terms. Exactly. And as somebody else pointed out on Twitter, during World War II, film production actually increased. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. You mentioned, we were talking beforehand, before we started recording, you mentioned that some people are comparing this to, uh, on a cultural level, in terms of what it feels like to to 9-11, to the aftermath of 9-11. Yeah. And to me, this feels very different. I don't know. I mean, first of all, it's moving in slow motion, whereas 9-11 was relatively slow motion, you know, two weeks even compared to 9-11, where I was a senior in high school when 9-11 happened, and between first and second period is when I found out about the whole thing. So, you know, that was instant. And, you know, we we say it's happening very fast, and it does feel, it feels very fast and very slow at the same time. Yeah. And that was more of an external sort of threat where there might be a war. And this feels more of like like the guy next to you could give you coronavirus. You know, it feels it's like it's coming from a different place. Well, and and it did not affect the the cinema calendar in the same way really at all. Um, oh no, not at all. Yeah, um, we were I mean, talking were before the show. Out, yeah, there were movies out that week. You know, um, mm-hmm. they did not cancel. I, I think if I remember this correctly, and I was working at a movie theater at the time at a multiplex. I was also a senior in high school at the time. Uh, Hardball with Keanu Reeves, I believe, came out that Friday. <laughs> um, Glitter was out a couple weeks later. Um, yeah, yeah. The famous example is that uh, and people always talk about the records that came out on 9-11 because Tuesday used to be new record release day and uh famously jay-z's the blueprint came out on 9-11 mm-hmm. uh and that ben 
Tenfold, Rock in the Suburbs, came out on 9-11. Slayer, God Hates Us All, came out on (laughs) 9-11. Very poor timing with that one, I guess. Well, we're perfect timing if you're Slayer. (laughs) That's true. Um, Yeah, the real differences at the time were more a kind of skittishness about evoking 9-11 in movies that that were already coming out. A couple things were delayed. I remember Collateral Damage, uh, which is an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, was supposed to open that fall, and uh, they moved it, I think, Honestly, just the title and the the premise involved innocents being killed. So they moved that. Uh, There were also some things like there was an early trailer for Spider-Man, which came out the following summer, Mm -hmm. uh, featured the two towers rather prominently. Yeah, he like builds a web between them to catch some criminals in a in a helicopter, I believe. That's right. uh, They just that trailer completely disappeared, and there was a lot of question of like I I believe some movies were removing the twin towers from shots, lest anyone be reminded of this, as if. Anybody mm-hmm. could possibly forget about it. Well, you know, now when you watch movies shot in New York in the 80s, you always notice them right away. Oh, for I'm sure. always like, oh, yeah, there they are. Every single yep. time you watch a movie shot in New York before yep. 9 11. And I remember when Gangs of New York came out about a year later, Gangs of New York made a very, I felt I felt this was a principled move on their part, almost a response to this movement. The movie basically ends with the two towers. We see them. And mm-hmm. that to me felt like uh, Scorsese being like, no, we're not erasing this history in film. Well, it, when you're talking about, you know, concerns about content, that reminds me more of what happens occasionally, unfortunately, in America as a movie will get delayed or pulled because of a uh, mass shooting. That reminds me more of that than this. This is different. No, this is unprecedented, you know? Well, people don't seem to be backing away from content about diseases or pandemics at all. I I personally think it's a terrible idea to watch Contagion right now. I <laughs> yeah, think I'm not you're watching only, it. <laughs> you're only panicking yourself, but, you know, yeah. just based on social media, that's a lot of people are watching movies about pandemics amid all this. I don't get it personally, but that seems to be the opposite of the usual cultural drive towards avoiding overly... I guess, traumatic or violent news contemporary content. Well, I wonder if part of it is how fundamentally this health crisis is already changing the way a lot of people are living their lives. Mm. Now, with something like 9-11, certainly there was a lot of cultural and social waves that, that that sent through American culture. There was a certain level of fear that people had that wasn't there before, but it was possible to ignore some of that and to go about your life right. most, for most Americans, you know, if you didn't live yeah, in New York I City. Yeah, I mean, you, or... could, you could hypothetically, you know, not watch the news and have no idea. Well, apparently Jer- Jared Leto had no idea any of this was going on because he was on a silent meditation retreat in the desert so he missed this whole thing until like two days ago that's very funny Uh, (laughs) so uh the other thing is that it's not just and and this all kind of happened within the last week again it's again how crazy fast this has all happened it's not just that movies aren't coming out anymore most of the major chains in america are closing um you can't even go to an amc if you wanted to for a little while they were essentially limiting attendance so they were selling 50 percent of a theater right so you could hypothetically sit far away from each other. Still seems like a risk that a lot of Americans shouldn't be taking anyway, but now most of the chains have just shut down operations altogether. There are also a lot of the smaller theaters, a lot of the art house theaters that remain in this country are shutting down too. Yeah, and a lot of those are in precarious financial situations anyway. But, you know, right. despite all that, the Music Box Theater here in Chicago, would, you know, which is our home theater, it's the theater that we go. I probably go to the most in this city, mm-hmm. they're, they're closed through the end of the month, but they will still be paying their employees their normal paychecks while they're closed. It's nice. 
And yeah, it's it's a really big thing because that is an effect of this whole crisis that obviously you worry about disease and, you know, and it's a f- potentially fatal and all that stuff. But I, a lot of, everybody who works hourly in a place that's closed, if they don't get paid for two months, then the economy's going to fall apart. That's just, yes. that's just really bad news. So it is nice to see smaller theaters that are not rich to begin with providing for their employees in this way. And on a slightly larger scale, the Alamo Drafthouse today announced that they would be paying their employees while they're on furlough because they closed the chain earlier in the week. That's good. So this kind of leaves me with questions about where we go from here. I mean, one of the things that's happening that we're seeing already is that both smaller distributors and major studios are adjusting for the fact that a lot of people are spending all of their time indoors now. So Universal announced a few days ago that a number of their titles that I should say were still in theaters are going to be available to rent. So Universal is responding to this. They are making The Invisible Man as well as The Hunt. And Emma, which is uh, really was released through their mini major subsidiary Focus Features, they're making all of those available to stream at home. Like really, really closing the window between theatrical and home viewing, which generally is at least a couple months. And now these are movies that were in theaters a few days ago are now basically going to be a you can watch them at home yeah for twenty dollars which some complain about but if two people watch it then you're saving money already yeah totally <laughs> it's really not <laughs> it's not much of a difference the other thing they're doing is trolls world tour which was supposed to open in april one of the many <laughs> titles that was supposed to open and is not is now not opening is going to be available as well on the day that it was opening in mid-april and you can watch that at home now oh and speaking of the window the, the- theatrical to home video window probably about a year before it would have happened normally, Disney put Frozen 2 on Disney Plus over the weekend. That's right. Yep. And I think we're going to see more of this uh, as the weeks go on. None of us know really how much all of this is going to to change everything and how how long this social distancing is going to be necessary, how long we're going to be doing it. The small distributors have been responding to it too, making titles that were initially planned for theaters available through streaming and VOD. I've seen a couple of distributors this week alone are are announcing new ways that you can watch their films. Kino Lorber is one of them. Baccarat, who, which... uh, Yeah, I reviewed that, uh, what, two weeks ago? Feels like a year. (laughs) Doesn't it? Yeah, we both liked that one, so that one's going to be available. Yeah, that uh, one is very weird and wild. If you have not watched it yet, you'll watch the first hour and think like, what is this? It's like a typical film festival ensemble drama, but uh, it does not end up there at all. So. <laughs> That's very true. Oscilloscope say- is also... Basically, they're offering a number of their films. For $50, you can buy 10 of their films digitally, and Mm -hmm. uh, some of that will go to the Cinema Workers Relief Fund, I think $10 of every purchase. Do you want Uh, to talk about that? Yeah, it's actually called the Cinema Worker Solidarity Fund. Mm. And it started on uh, GoFundMe earlier in the week because cinema workers, obviously, not a rich group of folks to begin with. It's not a especially lucrative career. Um, and there are a lot of them are out of work. And like we said, a lot of smaller theaters can't afford to pay them. And, you know, uh, we don't have a lot of details on what the strategy is with the big chains. So, you know, we'll reserve judgment on that for now. But definitely there are smaller theaters whose workers who can't afford to pay their workers during a month's long shutdown. So there is, it is on GoFundMe.com. 
backslash cinema worker solidarity fund. And that's a fund that you can contribute to that will get, you know, ticket takers, ushers, projectionists, and, uh, you know, like uh, programmers and just folks that work at theaters paid. Uh, It's raised $63,000 so far. And um, that will be, they have a, a system to, you know, verify that you do work for a movie theater and you're out of work right now, but they, they distribute the funds out that way. You're seeing this in a lot of industries. Uh, the service industry is another big one where you're seeing a lot of bars and restaurants. People who live off tips are starting GoFundMe's to try to, you know, keep their income coming in. I wanted to add, Dowd, that uh, it's not just Universal. Um, Columbia is putting Bloodshot out on VOD early. And Warner Brothers is putting Birds of Prey out on VOD early. Got it. So, yep. And I think we're going to see more of that, too, honestly. And I think yeah. we're going to see things that were supposed to come out theatrically. More of them, I think, are going to are going to hit streaming platforms. One that I would not expect them to do that with is Black Widow. No. I, I, there's no way Disney takes a bath on something that big um, by well, throwing it on Disney+. Well, my question for that one is... My question for that one is, so everything that's coming out on VOD is coming out on VOD early. We have not yet seen a film that was supposed to be a big theatrical release going straight to VOD. That has not happened yet. Well, Trolls will will be. I mean... Oh, sure. um, Yeah. You and I probably do not consider that a a huge (laughs) theatrical release. It's definitely the type of thing that I... um, Were we not going through all of this, I would probably be assigning that to a freelancer rather yeah. than covering it myself. Yeah, the short um, straw game that we play sometimes. That's right. like, all right, who's going to get up on Saturday and go see Trolls? Because <laughs> right. they always had the kids' movie screenings on Saturday morning, which is just insult to injury. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I think that qualifies, honestly. That that would probably, mm-hmm. if that were opening in theaters, that would probably be a fairly large hit. Sure, um, top three probably. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious about the future and, and yeah. what is going to change going forward and how this is going to change the landscape of the film industry. What I was going to say in terms of that is, you know, we're talking about theatrical windows. And this is something that was a big question, you know, that's been heavily under discussion for about the past, oh, I don't know, less than 10 years, five, six years, ever since Netflix decided that it was going to start doing day and date releases where it would release in theaters and on Netflix on the same day. That made a lot of theater owners very, very nervous. And there's already talk about declining theater attendance and how streaming is going to take over the market anyway. You know, it's sort of treated as this inevitability and they're pushing back to try to find ways to keep the film industry alive. Live. You know, it's, it's a cycle that's sort of similar to the rise of television in the 1950s, where mm-hmm. theaters felt that, oh, well, people can just stay home and watch movies. We have to make movies bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I think that's it's not all of it, but I think it is part of the emphasis on tent poles and blockbusters and event films. But at the same time, you see this sort of like inevitable creeping of streaming that is going to take over and kill movie theaters. And this could accelerate that quite a bit. It could. I mean, I think that streaming platforms are are one of the few arms of the film industry now that are probably actually going to do really well during this. Um, Oh, yeah. And uh, my fear partially is that I don't fear so much immediately for the major studios. I fear more for for smaller distributors or at least for the... I fear a future where if you want to see a movie that was made for less than $80 million, 
your only option going forward is just to see it on VOD or streaming. That that right. theatrical releases for smaller movies are going to halt entirely. Right. We, we don't know that will happen. That's just a fear that it could happen. This is going to do strange things to the release calendar. Obviously, like I said, we don't know when any of this is going to change or when we're going we're going to return to anything like normalcy in this culture and or in this country and, and, and even on a, on a global scale. A lot of these movies, though, these these films that were supposed to open theatrically are going to move later. Are, are going to mm-hmm. open later in the year. Uh, optimistically, we'll say they could open in the fall if all of this is under control by then at which point how is that going to i imagine we're going to see a lot of there's probably a lot of people right now sitting down and looking at release calendars and saying how do we balance what we were supposed to open now against what we were supposed to open are we going to see summer movies that that movies that did not open this summer moving to a fall calendar are we going to or are they going to move to the following summer are we going to see uh, award movies moving further ahead to get out of the way of some of this other stuff are we going to see again this is optimistic because we don't really know what this the, the state of anything is going to be by this time but are we going to see this huge surplus of movies in theaters in November, let's say. Right, because we talk about the blowing up of the traditional release calendar all the time on Film Club. And, you know, there's certain things like January, be like crappy movies come out in January and stuff like that. That conventional wisdom is going away in some respects. But as you referenced, there are two big generally understood period of movies. First half the year movies, which are blockbusters, what used to be called summer movies, and then back half the year movies, which are awards movies. And, you know, and like you were saying, I kind of don't think that they're going to hold stuff like Black Widow for a whole year. Right. I I actually would not be shocked if Black Widow showed up in that Star Wars spot. Um, Because there's no Star Wars movie this year. Yeah. If suddenly, of course, there's another Marvel movie, The Eternals, that's supposed to come out in the fall. So does that move forward? I don't know. Um, Hmm. Or I guess move back. I always depends on the continuity. I mean, you know, because like the Marvel movies do have a continuity, so they do. Although Black Widow is a prequel. Okay, Um, so they they can just drop it in wherever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They can just insert that wherever. Um, (laughs) So uh, that's a question. Another question I have is how this is going to affect film production. Obviously, there are things that were shooting or things that we're going to shoot soon that are no longer uh, on track. Are we going to see a period in the near future, maybe 18 months from now, that's about the time it takes to to see these kind of changes happen. Are we going to see a period where there's just less movies because less are actually being made at the moment? Right. Like the initial thought is like, well, take all the movies that aren't coming out now and put them in the spot of the movies where we're going we are going to have a little bit of like a donut hole where everything Mm -hmm. that's in production right now those months when those were going to come out are going to be empty too right so So. the first thought is to just take everything that isn't coming out now and move it to then but that interrupts things in a way that i don't really see happening one because of profit motive and wanting to get things out as soon as possible and two that you know there is some thought put into the order that films are released particularly franchise films mm-hmm. that's true i mean the, the the an optimistic projection could be that maybe hollywood will take this particular opportunity to invest in some smaller projects the mid-budget movie you know that 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 oh the mid-budget movie that that lost delight uh, yeah. uh, maybe we'll get some of those to fill the gap maybe studios will feel like taking a smaller chance on some films that don't because right now the model for Hollywood increasingly is investing enormous amounts of money in less projects so you get these right. huge blockbusters 
and hopefully they connect with with audiences. Hopefully they connect with with the, the global market in China. But we should say also that China supposedly is reopening their theaters. Yeah, to give myself hope. I read up on what's going on in China, and I recommend it because it does make you feel a lot better. You're like, oh, okay, there is another side. They're coming out the other side, you know, and they, they certainly don't have a perfect government in China. But <laughs> so, yeah, so this is an article that ran in Variety today that they're planning to reopen Chinese movie theaters, but the studios there are very skittish, and obviously so are the studios here. Nobody wants to be the film that is the first film back in theaters that bombs because people are still scared to go to the theater. Yeah. So what they're doing in a lot of Chinese movie theaters is putting films that were popular back into theaters. And one of them is the Harry Potter films are going to just to fill the screens. So they're filling the screens with the Harry Potter films, number one, and some of them are big Chinese blockbusters. But there are also some kind of interesting choices for films that they're going to put into the theaters to fill them until the release calendar gets back to normal. One is Green Book, A Dog's Purpose. <laughs> And this is the weird one to me, Capernaum, which is a film that came out in 2018, which tell the people what Capernaum is about now. <laughs> yeah, that's um, it's, it's a film from uh, Nadine Labaki. It's a Le- uh, Lebanese drama from 2018, uh, played, it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. It's about a 12-year-old boy in Beirut who uh, he's living in extreme poverty, and he decides to sue his parents for giving birth to him. Um, yeah, it's, so. it's a sort of a catalog of human misery, that movie. It is your first night out after being stuck in the house <laughs> for two months. It is a very depressing choice, but you know what? You do you, Chinese moviegoers. <laughs> yeah. So again, we don't we don't really know what lies ahead for any of us or for the film industry. I will say that if there's a is the thought I have at the end of this at the end of this discussion, it's that I think I worry the most for movie theaters and specifically for smaller movie theaters and for art house movie theaters. I think mm-hmm. most of the chains will be fine by the end of this. Um, yeah. Your AMC's, your Lowe's, etc. I worry more about the local theaters, especially because a lot of them have been struggling anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, there's that downturn that we've been talking about with streaming and everything. You know, we talked about the mid-budget movie. Netflix has pretty much taken those over. You know, Netflix original movies have taken the place of the mid-budget studio film. Uh, Unfortunately, as with most changes in the industry, it's the little guys who are going to suffer the most. Totally. So I think there, there are some things you can do if you're concerned about your local theater. You can buy gift certificates. You won't be able to use them, obviously until the theater opens again, but most theaters offer them online. You can buy them. That way they get the money now and then you spend it later, you know, or, or you redeem it later. You can also buy memberships. Some theaters have that. I actually bought a membership to Music Box Theater uh, here in Chicago a few days ago. These are things that you can do to just help these. I know that everybody's, there's a lot of belt tightening going on and, and a lot of people, even I'm sure some of the people listening to this are facing their own financial struggles right now. But if you if if you do care about your local theaters and if you can give some something that's what i recommend just because they're going to need help because we we don't really don't know what kind of world they're going to be looking at by by the end of this yeah, and you know, like, um, if you have an office job that you can still work from home and your paychecks are still coming in, like, now's a great time to rally around movie theaters. Totally. So, uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that, obviously, what we normally do here on the, on the podcast slash video series is uh, we talk about current releases, but there aren't a lot of those. There are a few <laughs> opening next week, but nothing we'd necessarily devote a whole 
episode two. Yeah, um, there's something kind of interesting that I've been noticing. This might just be in the tiny ecosystem of Twitter, but there were a couple movies that have come out on VOD over the past couple weeks. One was the movie Swallow, which I wrote a review of. Mm-hmm. I was The review got a lot more eyes on it than I expected, and so I noticed that a lot of people were championing, championing it on Twitter as something that you could watch at home during the quarantine. So there may be a small silver lining for films that were just going to get a VOD release anyway. They'll get more attention than they would have normally. Totally. And I hope that is something that we see. So we'll probably, over the next few weeks, we may talk about some of those films opening. It'll just sort of depend on what's what's happening. I should probably stop using the word opening even. That's just my default, but <laughs> none of them are actually opening in any theaters at all. Um, Uploading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we'll talk about some of those, I'm sure, but we're also going to be trying to come up with creative solutions for things to talk about on this show. And today, what I'd like to do is talk about one of, we'll say a favorite movie of mine, and I think of yours as well. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a movie that I think has some disturbing parallels of what's going on. It's not contagion. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's not too close. Like, it's not literal. Exactly. It's, it's not, yeah, exactly. The, the movie is George Romero's Dawn of the Dead from 1978. The original. Uh, that's right. And, yeah, I mean, this is a movie that I could not help think of a little bit during what's going on right now just because it is a film about a pandemic of sorts. It's uh, Ramiro's sequel to his original Night of the Living Dead and though it was made 10 years after the original it is set in the immediate aftermath mm-hmm. of uh, of Night of the Living Dead which creates this I, I think a very strange cognitive dissonance a little bit that we are basically we're seeing things in the film that we saw in Night of the Living Dead. I can't imagine what it was like maybe to go see Dawn of the Dead in theaters and realize that the movie is uh, no, picking up no, immediately after? It's basically picking up immediately afterwards. It's like the same time period, even though you're going from 1968 to 1978. You know, well, you say, it's say. a huge cultural change. Fashions have say, changed. I was going to say, just the fashions and hairstyles will be <laughs> exactly, totally different. Yeah, totally. And um, surface difference, uh, Night of Living Dead's in black and white, Dawn of the Dead's in color. Uh, yeah, I mean, the filmmaking, I mean, I would say he grows enormously as a filmmaker in that period as well. So we're, totally. seeing, we're seeing a brand, kind of, kind of a different director in some respects. Um, yeah, he makes made quite a few films in the interim. How many times have you seen this movie? Uh, I'd say since college, probably, hmm, I'd say probably about 10 times. I'm not a huge yeah. movie rewatcher, but this is one that people put on a lot and gets programmed in movie marathons a lot. And I, the last time I saw it was, I think, about a year ago, not too long ago. I watched it on Halloween, or slightly after Halloween. It's part of a horror movie marathon. It was like the mm-hmm. last movie that I watched. And I watched a little bit of it last night as well, just in preparation for this. Um, it's a movie that I can watch. I could probably watch this movie ever once a month. And yeah. be okay with it. I'm not a huge movie rewatcher myself. I don't... I mean, there are films like this one that I will watch maybe once a year or something. Yeah. But for the most part, I don't obsessively rewatch things. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. It is. You know, about... <laughs> Rewatching movies. Although another thing that I've been hearing from a lot of people is they want to rewatch movies during the this you know social isolation phase because it is comforting. It's like an yeah. old friend a little bit. Totally, that makes sense. This film is not comforting in a lot of respects. I was and, gonna say, <laughs> how did you feel after you watched it? Better or worse? Well, honestly, it, it it I have such a relationship with this movie 
because I've been watching this movie since I was a teenager. And, right. and, I, and again, I do watch it maybe once a year, some, something in that range. Pro- probably not literally, but I watch it a lot. And I have such a relationship with this movie that I can't really imagine exterior forces changing the way that I see it. Uh, one thing about it is that uh, I remember I bought the, the Anchor Bay DVD release of it, which at this point was probably 15 years ago. Yeah, that's um, old school, Anchor Bay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was. I mean, it was a really nice package, and it was like, you know, it was like one of those very, tons of special features. And uh, one of the things about the package is that it contains several different versions of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I have to confess something, though. I've had that for years. I have never made it more than about 20 minutes into an alternate version of this movie. There's a European cut. There's a director's cut. I never watch more than 20 minutes of that before I switch back to theatrical. And what it comes down to for me is... I'm so close to this movie that any, even like a, a single added scene or an extended scene doesn't feel quite right. Do you have any movies like that where you're like, I do not want a different version of this. The, the, the version that I know and love exists. Even if another version is better, well, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> the rhythm's I'll, off. I'll argue against it being better, and maybe this is a basic choice, but when I was a kid, I would watch Star Wars on VHS with my dad probably at least once a month. And I absolutely flat out refuse to watch the special editions. They make me really mad. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the, the special editions are yeah. a worse version of this. It's worse. They put in all that bullshit with, like, <laughs> yeah. Jabba the Hutt. No. Yeah, it doesn't fit. One thing that really struck me rewatching this movie, um, beyond the fact that, I should say for starters, that there are some parallels. The, the opening of the movie is uh, we meet one of our main characters. She works at a, at a television news station. Mm -hmm. And uh, she kind of wakes up from a nightmare and she's in the middle of this chaos. And the whole station is basically consumed with chaos about what to do during this crisis. You have like a, a some sort of government representative who is basically on TV talking to one of the anchors. And he basically is just like, I don't think people are really getting it through their heads like how serious this is and what we need to do. And he's like, you have to destroy the bodies. We have to quarantine. And there's just, there's a little bit of, that was the one moment of the movie where I felt a little bit of some reverberations of what's going on right now, you know? I'll say it says a lot about, you know, Romero's worldview and just kind of how this movie doesn't, it does doesn't pull any punches is that she wakes up from a nightmare into a worse nightmare. I yes. think that tells you a lot about what you're in for. Totally. I love that choice. Basically, the movie follows about four characters. They flee in the night. They, they get on a helicopter and flee the station in the night. They get out of the city. And I believe two of them are police officers and two of them work for the station. Yeah, one and, of them is the, he do, he flies the helicopter for yeah. the traffic helicopter. That's why they call him Flyboy. That's right. So th- shortly into the movie, they end up at a shopping mall. And this is sort of, numerous college grad papers have been written about that the setting and about the fact, <laughs> about what the movie's saying about that. And there's a, there's a particular line of dialogue where someone says, you know, it's, it's instinct. They're coming back to a place that, that, that was important to them when they were alive. Yeah. They go um, back to where they know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, real quick, though, I want to back up to what I think is one of the most effective and disturbing parts of the movie, which is in between the parts we're talking about, where there's that sequence where they have the um, soldiers going into the apartment building. Yes. At the beginning. And that is something that feels very relevant to me because, you know, 
it's this thing of like all these people jammed together in a tight space spreading a virus. Yeah, I mean, and there's a very lot of, bleak part of the movie too. It really is. It's it's really maybe the darkest portion of the film. Yeah, um, it's so bleak. And yeah, I mean, the police officers. Some of the police officers are basically indiscriminately shooting people in the building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Ramiro was saying something in that moment about how our authority figures will respond in times of crisis. Who is going to be vulnerable? Truly vulnerable during these times. It, 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 I think it is the most nightmarish sequence in the movie. But they end up at a shopping mall and they end up sort of fortifying the shopping mall and it becomes this this sort of consumer, I want to say paradise, but it's kind of a combination paradise and prison for them. Um, sort of. You know, it is they're alone in this space that's normally full of people. And like technically it is the dream, right, to have everything in the right. mall you want for free. Right. But they're not they're not necessarily happy. There's a long kind of melancholy stretch in the middle of the movie where it's them kind of living some semblance of one could say a normal life, but it's obviously it's a it's a completely manufactured one, which yeah. makes a, a lot of it kind of sad. They're, they're sort of stuck in this space together. But I was struck the last time I watched it by how much this thing really works as an action movie. Mm, yeah, because, you know, initially the mall is full of zombies and they have to mm. kind of clear it out space by space before they can even get into this sort of like empty facsimile of a consumer middle American existence, right? Yeah, totally. And so you have long scenes of them running around the mall. There's one sequence where they're in a department store and they have to lead the the zombies basically to one level outside of the store to one level in order to get by through the lower level. And it's just such accomplished action filmmaking Mm -hmm. during those portions. Mm -hmm. And it's so fluid and it's so, he's cross-cutting between characters. It really is like, and and I, you know, people tend to think of this movie as a horror classic, but I watch it and and I really think that it's it's like a fabulous horror, or a action movie as well. Yeah, Um, it blends genres really well because he puts a lot of humor into these scenes too, you know, just of the zombies wandering the mall and the different ways they get, you know, picked off. A lot of it's really funny. And some of them look very, I mean, there's like a Hare Krishna there as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, he plays the, he's, he's walking a really fine tonal tightrope there between seeing the zombies as figures of real menace. And I mean, they're a terrifying force of danger, but they're also, they are comic figures. They're sort of slapstick. Yeah. They're these kind of slapstick creations as well and it's kind of remarkable that he's able to toe that line well like one zombie isn't that big of a deal you can just you know pop it in the head no big deal but when there's thousands of them then that's a force thing you can't you can't fight that many of them yep as in the original as a night of the living dead there the movie is about characters confined in a single place but mm-hmm. the environment is so different, and I don't mean just aesthetically. I mean that Night of the Living Dead is all about confinement and is all about... There's a claustrophobic energy to it. These characters trapped in these very small spaces together with the threat around them. This is definitely a movie where there's a lot more wide open space, and I would even go as far to say that the characters at times put themselves in danger that isn't there. One of the more interesting things about the film is that they could actually live in this place pretty comfortably for for a long period of time if... They were more careful in some ways. Yeah, as long as the food lasts, then they can just stay there. You know, once they've yeah. done the initial sweep and, you know, cleaned it up, 
then yep. they could just stay there as long as the food lasts. Yeah. One of the things that, that I always, as a kid, that, that really appealed to me about this film, obviously, was that it, there is some gnarly Tom Savini gore mm-hmm. in it. Um, mm-hmm. He obviously would, uh, he would kind of perfect that in the next film in the series, which is Day of the Dead, which has, to, I think to this day, some of the most revolting, elaborate gore that I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to, you know, impugn the good name of Tom Savini because I think he's excellent. But the, he's definitely still developing the effect style here. And there are some of the zombies are just basically, you know, gray face paint and liquid latex. Right. Of course. Yeah. I mean, some of the effects have not aged terribly well. Some of the effects in this film, I think that you kind of accept the reality of the film. But I do think the gore is still pretty good. Um, yes. I agree uh, that the filmmaking makes it so, like, if you're watching a goofy, dumb, poorly made Italian horror movie with those kind of effects, you would make fun of the effects all day. But nobody right. makes fun of the effects in Dawn of the Dead because the filmmaking is so good. Right. And because we have, we've built such a relationship with these characters, there's a lot of interesting tensions in, in the relationships. The two police officer characters are sort of, they're these kind of no nonsense, get the job done, guys, mm-hmm. you know? Particularly um, Ken Foray. That's right. Yeah. As Who Peter. is fantastic in this movie, by the he's way. He's so good in this movie. Yeah. yeah. He's really, really yeah. good. And, but, so they become this kind of surrogate family and and it's it's a big source of why the film is, I think, is 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 pretty melancholy on top of everything else it is. And we come to care for all of them. Even, I mean, the Flyboy character you were talking about kind of regularly screws up. He's not built for this kind of life the way that the other two are, necessarily. Yeah, the, yeah. Even he's not trained. Three. There's a lot of inherent drama in their interactions and the role that he plays in the group. He's also romantically involved with our main character, um, mm-hmm. Francine, I believe is her name. Yeah, um, yep, Francine. Played by Galen Ross. And that becomes this element that becomes pretty important to the film as well. Uh, I won't say too much more about it for those who haven't yeah, seen it. it by the way, very, if you haven't seen this movie, please watch it. <laughs> it yeah, it's, uh, well, I mean, they're, like it's an entertaining film to watch, but its worldview is definitely nihilistic. Yeah. You know, like the question of like having a child in this world is, yep. is a very like bleak thing to think about. And again, I'm not going to spoil it. But the end also, the, like the very end and what happens does show a worldview where people are animals and we're all fucked <laughs> because of it. I don't know. I don't entirely agree with you. You don't think that that's a, it's no. a bleak ending? I think that the ending is about grappling with that knowledge and that mm, reality okay. and saying, do we go forward? Do we stop or do we try to move forward? Um, like do you give into it or do you fight it? Yes. Do you give into it or do you keep fighting it? And I actually find the end kind of profound in that respect, in asking that question. I mean, the, I, again, I don't want to say too much about about the ending of this film, but I do think that it, it ends on something of an ellipsis. And it does. Regardless of where the series goes from there, I think that there is something self-contained about that ellipsis. I know that sounds a little oxymoronic, but I think that you can look at the end of this movie and decide to see this as a kind of final statement, at least on these characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I don't have any particular desire to see their story continue because I think it ends on a perfectly, it concludes on a, on a perfectly inconclusive note, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you know, I, I can see what you mean about, you know, the, the choice and everything in, in the fact that it does end in the ellipses does, is what gives it some ambiguity to possibly not be totally dark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, make no mistake, his worldview is very dark and I think it, that <laughs> as the series has progressed, it's gotten in a lot of ways darker. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Day of the Dead is, I think, the bleakest of the series. Um, yeah. I would prefer to not have to acknowledge any of the films after Land of the Dead, the fourth one. Oh, there were films after Land of the Dead? Oh, oh yes. Survival no, of the I Dead. No, I know, I know. Oh, you're kidding. I'm joking. Kidding. Like, <laughs> those don't exist in our world. Because <laughs> I agree. Exactly. Let's not talk about it. Especially not the found footage one. Oh, my God. Uh, agreed. Um <laughs> I obviously greatly prefer the original to uh, Zack Snyder's remake from 2004. Yeah, I mean, it's the best Zack Snyder movie, but that's like talking and saying the best Michael Bay movie a little bit. <laughs> yeah, Which I'm not a big Snyder fan. Uh, I will say that there, he does a couple things in that film that I like. Um, I believe James Gunn worked on the screenplay, and there is a certain nastiness to it that I can appreciate. There is a pregnancy in that film. The way that is resolved is quite nasty um, yeah. in a way that I, I kind of admire as a horror fan anyway. And I will say that the opening 15, 20 minutes of the of the remake are quite superb. That opening sequence plus the the Johnny Cash credit sequence. Snyder, I'll say this, Snyder yeah, is like very good stylish. at credit sequences. Yeah. Yeah, like that movie has style and it do, and it does go there, but I just feel like the original really has Romero's like point of view baked into it in a way that the remake doesn't. For sure. Well, so you cannot uh, stream that film from many of the major providers, I will say. Um, um, that there is a 4K rip of it on YouTube. It's what I was watching last night, and it, it's very good. <laughs> I don't know how long. Normally, we're a little reluctant about recommending alternative means of, of watching things, um, but I think this is at least one case where I don't think anybody would hold it against you if you watched this, in my opinion, this masterpiece any way that you can. And it is mm-hmm. so it is on YouTube. There's a 4K version. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. I think yeah. you'll like it a lot. <laughs> and if you have a roommate or a significant other who's a horror, fan maybe go to him and be like hey do you have Dawn of the Dead and they'll be like absolutely I've been waiting for you to say that to me <laughs> um, well I think that's that's probably all the time we have today although we, we all of us have a lot of time now on our hands in some respects but um, yeah you gonna watch anything tonight Alex you know, I might. I am thinking about watching uh, a couple films that were released mm-hmm. a few years ago. One of them is called Olympus Has Fallen. The other one is called <laughs> White House Down. Yeah. Um, something we've been talking for a long time about here at the AV Club is uh, something. It's called the Premise Dome. It is a feature that, that's sort of been in the in the works for a very long time that we've never launched. And the idea is that we pit two films with very similar premises, often films that came out very close to each other. They're called twin films, I believe is mm-hmm. the is the term they use to describe this phenomenon. It it happens enough there's a term for it. (laughs) Exactly. These two particular films are both about the president under siege at the White House and being uh, sort of protected by a single dogged uh, (laughs) Secret Service agent. Um, Again, both these movies came out a few years. I'm giggling because Olympus' Fall is such a stupid movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I don't... What I want to say is that I think next week what we're going to do is we're going to talk about these two films and each of us is going to take a position on them. Mm-hmm. I will not tell you uh, nope. who is for which one, but nope, nope. I will say that we uh, we both prefer one to the other. Um, yep. And next week we're going to talk about that. And hopefully, I, I'm hoping that we can get something together where we can allow all of you listening to vote on which is your favorite. Because uh, I would love to be able to talk about that on the show too. And just, just to acknowledge that people agree with me because I'm right. <laughs> Well, I mean, or maybe not. We shall see. We shall see. Because yeah, yeah I 
it, well, it's funny, a little bit behind the curtain, we talked about a few different uh, ideas for Premise Dome, and it, we were both just like, oh, I prefer this one. No, I prefer that one, too. And so we had to try out a couple to come up with one where we uh, disagreed. That's true. It's true. So um, please check back next week. That's what we're going to be talking about. Again, we're, we're going to keep the show going. We'll, we'll just be recording remotely, and we'll be trying different things here and there, and also talking about, occasionally talking about the movies that actually are, are going to be hitting streaming platforms and available on VOD because like you we'll be at home and we can watch them all right thank you so much for joining us today please rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we especially appreciate it in these times everything's crazy so (laughs) please listen to our podcast I guess (laughs) (laughs) stay healthy folks bye